Welcome to the Christ Community Church Podcast. This teaching was recorded live during our weekend service in St. Charles, Illinois. We invite you to join us in person any weekend in St. Charles, DeKalb, Aurora, or Streamwood. Learn more at ccclife.org. And now, enjoy the message. Good morning! (laughs) It's great to have you here. Uh, Those of you gathered in St. Charles, uh, those of you who are joining us in Streamwood, in DeKalb, in Aurora, uh, watching online today. I'm curious, how many of you love ice skating? Wow, you got a huge fan club here then. Well, we're good at winter here. <laughs> Wait, even though, you know what? In my little hometown of Batavia, we've got a <laughs> pond that we wait to freeze over every winter, and there is a red flag until it does. Yeah. I've been waiting for that green flag. It has not come up yet. Oh, so wow. it's not, the ice is not solid enough. I thought maybe you and I would go ice skating this afternoon, but it's still a red flag, so oh, I can't. I didn't bring my skates. Oh, too bad. Next time. <laughs> Next time. Hey, Scott, I thought the best way to introduce you would be with your, with your own words. So this is what you say about yourself in your book. You say, I am a short, bald, chemoed, brain-radiated, surgically repaired male figure skater of unknown ethnic origin. It's, a, it's my personal ad. <laughs> yeah, it's, I, I, I had to expand it, you know, so now it reads like... Like if you had to read your, you know, write your personal own little like personal ad in the newspaper, you know, it's short, bald, half neutered, chemoed, radiated, surgically repaired, retired male figure skater of unknown ethnic origin seeks a beautiful, intelligent woman for long walks, <laughs> laughter, and an interest in my hobby for collecting life-threatening illness. <laughs> so you know, I'm a, I'm, I'm a I'm a prize, you know, what can I say? You know? But I, I found, a, I found a, a really good keeper. And man, you know, like, like most men, we overmarry. Yeah. We do. You right, guys? Up. We yeah. always, we marry yeah. up. We yeah. just do. Yeah. We totally yeah. do. You guys better clap. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's Valentine's Day. It's in your Day. best interest. In a week this week, guys. <laughs> yeah. All right, so let's unpack that description. Let's start with the short part. You, you were adopted by two loving parents mm-hmm. who were immediately faced with, you know, this, this child who doesn't grow. There was, you know, there was non-growth going on and they're trying to figure out what's behind it. Tell us a little bit about that story. Yeah, I was adopted at six weeks of age. I remember it like it was yesterday, but you know, it kind of like goes to this thing where, you, you know, that counter in your kitchen parents that your kids run under all the time and you just know one day they're going to grow just enough and bashed their head in that counter. That never happened to me. <laughs> so I mean, it got to a point where they knew that there was something going on. There was, uh, there was something, like my body was looking like it wasn't developing properly. There was stress. And so for the next four years, I was um, in and out, mostly in hospitals, uh, test after test after test, very restrictive diets. They thought it may be allergic reactions to this or whatever. And um, I wasn't growing, and um, it was very mysterious and very frightening for my family because when you're an adopted child, there's really no health history to fall back on, whether this is normal or not. And and so they were. It was very stressful on my parents. We finally ended up at Boston Children's Hospital, which is kind of like the granddaddy of all children's hospitals. And um, it was there. I had every symptom of Schwachmann-Diamond syndrome. Uh, but uh, Dr. Harry Schwachman himself was my physician, and he said, I can't figure this thing out. And like every other physician said, I can't figure this thing out. And so basically he sent us home with um, doctor's orders to take me off all the restrictive diets, leave me on the supplement that I had to take, but go home and live a normal life for whatever time you have left. Which, that supplement, I mean, you took that through the nose, right? I saw saw a picture. Well, yeah, I mean, that was, it was sort of like, you know how they have like um, flavor of the month, you know, with with Walgreens or whatever, and it's like cherry or bubble gum or grape. Flavor of the month back then for that supplement was chalk. (laughs) And and, and not like vanilla or chalk or chocolate chalk, it was chalk. It was the worst thing ever, it was awful. It was like medicinal and it came in a glass about that big and so I'd have to drink it and so, that 
drink forced me to become a pathological liar. I, I tell my parents I'm going to go drink it in the bathroom because I, you know, if I gag and I just dump it out and then I take a little bit and put it up here. So like, like, you know, and sure enough, I got sloppy and my mom, who I love my mom, she was, um, she was standing right behind me and it's like, hi mom, <laughs> you have to drink it. No. So we came up with this compromise where they took a tube up my nose, down my esophagus, and they would feed me the supplement through the tube. And it was like... Awesome. It was, I never have to taste that garbage again. And um, so I lived with this tube that was kind of coming out of my nose, and I'd tape it to the side of my face and put it over my ear when I wasn't using it, and it was best way to take that supplement. Now, strangely enough, this led to skating. Yeah. Uh, what's uh, the connection here? Well, I mean, after four years, and like, you know, think about children's hospitals. You know, now they're kind of thoughtful. Right? They have, um, you know, they're very pretty calming colors and cartoon animals and all those great things. And then there's usually a day bed where the parents can sleep when the child's, you know. When I went in children's hospitals, it was white, sterile walls, sterile floors, um, a bed and a chair in the corner where my mom would sleep in the chair on every night she possibly could. And it, and it was awful. So they were shattered, exhausted. And, so our family physician who lived right down the street, and we spent more time with him than pretty much anyone else, said, um, look, there's a brand new facility. He basically told my parents they needed a morning off to recharge their batteries. And so um, he said, my kids are involved in this brand new program at the brand new facility at Bowling Green State University. It's an ice arena. They have classes every, every morning from noon, I mean from eight to noon, and it's a safe environment, lots of kids, and you can recharge your batteries and, and relax, and he'll be in a safe environment. And so they were, okay, we can do that. So I arrived at the rink, and um, I'm looking at 150 well kids, and it's like, Whoa, because I was more accustomed to being around sick kids than well sure, kids, because sure. that was my world, was sick yeah. kids. So um, I'm looking at all these well kids, and, and they look at me, and they're like, what's wrong with you? And it's like, what? And it's like, oh, that, you've never been fed through your nose before? <laughs> so I knew I was different, but... You know, I, I, and, and I knew I was different, so um, I'd hang on to the wall and let go, like we all do, hang on to the wall and let go, and pretty soon I was making it all the way around the ice without touching the wall, and then pretty soon I was skating as well as the well kids, and, and then pretty soon I was skating as well as the best athletes in my grade, wow. and for the very first time in my life, I had self-esteem. Wow. And it's, man, there's nothing more powerful yeah. than self-esteem. I mean, in, in, in a sense, it, you could say skating cured you. Well, and then sort. my health started yeah. to yeah. improve. Yeah. Like, mysteriously, miraculously, my health started to improve. I started growing again. I started, you know, it's like my mom would say, you're, look at those muscles on your legs. And I go, Mom, don't look at my legs. That's weird. That's gross. Stop looking at me. You know, so I, I adored her. Um, and I just started getting better physically and, and better on the ice. And they had to basically threaten me to get me off the ice. Wow. I was skating in every session I possibly could. And then came the teasing for being a figure skater. So um, okay, I- tell, tell us what the life of a competitive figure skater is like, because most of us probably don't compete at figure skating. Well, it, it's, it's a slippery slope, <laughs> okay? Like literally, you start off in like classes and you, you know, you're just sort of figuring out how to stand up, and then you get your first pair of skates, which changes everything because rental skates are like the bane of my existence. Like, can't skate on them. Yeah. Used to be pretty good. I can't stand by them. That's stand been up. my problem, yeah. It's not your fault. It's yeah, not yeah. your fault. So, um, so then you start getting on, you know, start taking lessons, and then you're on the ice doing, like, figure eights. It's like, <sighs> hated figures growing up. So you do figure eights. And then you start jumping and competing and learning new things. And, and um, it's just sort of like it, you, it, you get swept into this world of testing and competing and, and you know, going to different competitions around the region. And, and I, you know, I, I would do pretty well. You know, it's, it's like if you're a girl in figure skating and you medal, you're really good. If you're a boy in figure skating and you don't, you guys probably work a little harder. <laughs> There's not that many boys like there are girls. And so I grew up in that environment. And... Um, 
And I just didn't like figures, but I loved entertaining. I loved being on the ice. And uh, it was very funny, my first competition, they had to make up an event for us because we didn't qualify for any <laughs> real events. So they created a sub-juvenile men. And there were four of us, and um, I came in second. Wow. And wow. the guy that came in first actually lives in Chicago. Um, he became U.S. figure skating president. And so whenever we're together, he's on the board of my cancer foundation. Uh, we, I tease, I go, I haven't let it go. You beat me. I haven't let it go. And he goes, come on. That was, you know, uh, 52 years ago. So um, I don't hold a grudge or anything like that. But you get into this thing, and you just start, you know, you start competing. And pretty soon I was going to the regionals, which qualifies for sectionals, which qualifies for nationals. And um, I remember the first... Like uh, the novice level is where you quali you can qualify for nationals, but you got to be top three in the in the section. Okay. So I was third in figures, which was miraculous because I was horrible at figures, and I was third in the free skating. Came in fourth. Like that only happens in figure skating where you can be third in both events and come in fourth. <laughs> so I didn't make it. So I ended up moving up to Rockton, Illinois. Um, at the Wagon Wheel, the old Wagon Wheel Resort, and I skated with Janet Lynn her last year of competing on the... Uh, Pretty famous. She was the skating. most famous woman athlete in the world, most beloved. And so I'm, I'm like intimidated by her presence and everything. I'm like, I'm skating with Janet Lynn, I'm like this little peanut nothing. And um, <clears throat> I made it to nationals that year, but they put my event, the little boys event, right before her final nationals. 17,000 500 people, standing room only, were in this audience, and I rose to the occasion five times. <laughs> I fell five times in my <laughs> Now, you think about that. Now, it's a three-minute program. How do you have time to fall five times and get up in a three-minute program? And I came in dead last, like dead last. If there was a place like three below last, that would have been me. And I, you know, laser. And... Um, you know, I go, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to prove, prove to them next year what I've got. So I went back to Nationals the next year in the novice men's event, and I came in ninth again. And so I go, well, I'm going to go up to junior because i got nothing to lose. Well, I'm last place guy. I mean, what's below last place? So I, I, I made it to Nationals, and I came in seventh. I beat two guys. Uh -huh. <laughs> Take that, two guys. And it was right after that competition that uh, my mom came home and we had a family meeting. She, uh, whew, she um, in a very sing-songy way, she goes, okay, everybody, family meeting. And we go, what's a family meeting? And she said, everybody said, okay, I've just come from the physician and I have been diagnosed with a disease called cancer. And what I'm going to have to do is, and I'm like, I thought cancer was a really bad thing, but she was she had a smile on her face and mm. she was just being very, you know, calm. And she goes, I'm going to have to have some medicines, which may not make me feel too good. And then there'll probably be some surgery down the road, but I'm going to need everybody's help because we're really busy here. She was going to school, teaching school and raising a family all wow. at the same time. Wow. And very sacrificial. She never bought anything yes. for herself. You know, we, we, she's, yes. everything went to her kids. And so um, I'm thinking, why, how, like, why is she so happy? Mm. But I go, if she's okay, I guess we're okay. Yeah. And yeah. that was a really powerful parenting lesson. How, how did that impact your skating? Well, that year, um, my main coach retired. And so I had a new coach who was kind of like this whipcracker, you know, he was yep. very, you know, he's like, get to work. And I go, oh, it's my last year in skating. Because she told me we were out of broke, we were broke, out of money. This would be your last year in skating. And so I just went to work. You know, I put all my chips in the middle of the table. And I said, I'm going all in. My last year in skating, I'm going to just, anything I got, I'm going to pour into this year. And, and for whatever reason, I started showing, getting better results, probably because yeah. it was the first time I ever really yeah. worked hard, you know. And, yeah. and then I got to nationals. And um, it was funny because a week before I landed my first triple in practice, and so my coach goes, we're going to put it in the program. Wow. So I go, um, my mom arrives at the Nationals. Her arm is in a sling because they had removed her left breast and mostly inside of her left arm. And she was wearing a wig because she lost all her hair to chemo. And she was smiling the entire time. Wow. And I go, are you okay? And she goes, I'm great. And I go, is it the drugs that you're on? <laughs> 
And she just said, nope. When you're all done, we're going to sit down. We're going to talk about what's next. And I said, yeah. she goes, good luck. So I went out for the, the long program. And normally I'm like, like way out of it. Like there's no chance that I'll be anything but close to the bottom. And this time I was kind of in a better position. And my coach said, don't warm up your triple sow cow. And it's like, why? And he goes, because we don't want to know if it's there or not. <laughs> like, that's really good coaching. So I went out, I did a couple big doubles and warm up and, and you know, um, my name was announced and I went out and I did my first jump and then I came around for the triple sow cow and I was like, here we go. I got nothing to lose because I am a loser. And um, all of a sudden, what normally would be a view of the ceiling was a view of the audience. And I'm like, ah, I just landed my first triple ever in competition. And I was so excited, I forgot to screw up the rest of my program. And I won junior nationals. And at the end, my mom sat down and she goes, I bet you wanna know why I was happy all week. And I, I it hit me, <laughs> what's going on with you? And she said, on my way here, I met a couple in Chicago that's very wealthy, don't have children, love skating, and want to pay for your skating from this day wow, forward. Wow, wow. So your mom's courage, her brightness of spirit was an inspiration to you, and, and you got better and better. I'm going to jump ahead now. Yeah. 1980, you, you get good enough to join the Olympic team in Lake Placid. In fact, you are chosen to carry the American flag. Dude, how did you get that job? Huh. Okay, I'm the third guy on a three-man team with no chance of meddling. Basically, I'm a tourist with a jacket and a pair of skates, right? <laughs> and so I'm in, I'm in a, we're watching Close Encounters of the Third Kind in the Athlete Village, you know? And I get pulled out by our team captains. And they pull me into the, into the little area and they go, you've really done it this time. And it's like, what? I, I think I'm getting thrown out of the Olympics. They go, no, you've really done it this time. And it's like, well, I didn't do anything. I've been on time for everything, and I'm getting really upset now. And I go, what did I do? And they go, you've been chosen to carry the flag in the opening ceremonies. And it's like, why? <laughs> like, why? I'm invisible here. Why? And um, they just said because it, the, all the other sports wanted it to be about the journey, not about the destination. Ah, okay. And everything that I've been through, and they just yeah. really wanted that to be. So I went in for my parade uniform fitting, and, and here's my world. <laughs> what size shoes do you take? I go, I'm a size six. And they go, seven and a half okay? <laughs> <laughs> right? Um, okay. So it's like, and then my, the crotch of my pants came down to here, and there was like, roll those up, tuck them under. My jacket sleeves came down to here, roll them, broad shoulders. And then um, my mittens were too big, and, and so I'm holding this flag, and I realized my hat's too big, and so it kept coming down over my eyes. And, you know, so I'm like carrying the flag out, and I'm trying to be really still not to like do this, but still. And I'm thinking, they must think I got... Carried the, I mean, I got chosen to carry the flag because I have a condition. <laughs> it was, um, I mean, it was, it was thrilling. I came in fifth. Um, I, it was amazing. We watched Eric Hyden, all those medals he won every event. Yeah, and then yeah. hockey team won. They, the night they beat the Russians, I got there late because I was having yeah. dinner with my sponsor. I got there about uh, five minutes left in the second period, and I've never been in an arena like that before. Wow. Wow. And you know, since then, I found out that there was probably over 180,000 people that were actually in the building. I'll tell the story. I was there. It was electric, and so after that, um, you know, it's the next four years start. Yeah. Top three guys retire. All I had to do was wake up one morning, I'm ranked second in the world, and it's like... Well, you, you, had, you had quite a spate. I mean, you went four years, what, 16 national and world championships before the... It's 17, but who's counting? Um, <laughs> it was, um, the Olympics was the 16th okay. one in a row. Okay, okay, okay. I, I went undefeated for four years, and then, um, what in the world? And then um, I went to the world championships after the Olympics. And uh, I just wanted that fourth world title. So, so the Olympics, the 84 Olympics, Sarajevo, is where you won the gold. 
did you did you anticipate? I mean, going in, did you think, yeah, I'm, I'm going to get this? <laughs> I hadn't lost a competition in over three years. And what I learned was after the second world championship, because the first world championship freaked me out. I go, either... Either the sport is at its lowest place in history if I'm its champion, or I've got to up my game. And so my coach had to like worry, kind of get me through all that psychological stuff. And then at the second world championship, I'm looking around, I go, oh, they're just guys. I'm not competing against the world. I'm competing against guys just like me. And so I just, my job is to stay ahead of these guys. Yeah. And so I, I, I was able to get to 84, and then I start kind of like glancing over my shoulder, and there's these two boys named Brian, who I knew um, were catching up to me really fast. And so my, I had to lean into the finish line a little bit, but going into the long program, because I had to fall in love with figures that I hated. And so I fell in love with figures, and I, I started doing really well in them. So I, if I if I came in in the top three, that, I mean that's part of the competition. Yeah. These figures. So there's yeah. figures, short and long. Those are the three events okay. that go into you know crowning the okay. champion. And so I I figured I did the math. I looked around at all the other guys, and I figured if I am top three in all three events, I hadn't lost the long program in three years. There's no way I Got can it. lose. Got I mean, it. mathematically, yeah, 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 there's no yeah. way I can lose. And so Brian Orser, who was my biggest threat, came in eighth in the figures, and that was the buffer I needed because he cleaned my clock in the long program. I mean, he, he was so good and so far beyond me. It was just a beatdown in the long program. But, you know, at the press conference afterwards, I had a lot of angry press saying, how can he do that in the long program and not win? And I go, well, it's like, you guys cover football, right? If, if a team's up 50 to nothing at halftime, what are the chances that they're going to lose the game? Yeah. And they're like, that's what I was. I so was you, up were, you were up 50 to nothing. Yeah, yeah. and that yeah. was my strategy yeah. going in. Yeah. And, wow. and so um, it, was, it was an extraordinary time. It was just... Um, you know, I remember, you know, just hearing the worship before, um, for whatever reason that year, I chose as my Olympic exhibition um, a beautiful flute version of Amazing Grace. Uh, little did I know, right? Little did, well, okay, yeah. let's get to this. <laughs> let's get to this part of this story. Yeah. So you finish with amateur competitive skating and you move into professional skating. Uh, you spend a couple years with ice capades and then start your own troupe, Stars on Ice, Things are going great for a decade or so until you have a pain in your abdomen. Yeah. Okay, jump into that part of the story. Well, I was with Capades for two years, and um, they went through an ownership change. Like, I never missed a show or a press call. I was kind of like, I, was, I wanted that third-year option so bad because I never had money before, and now I was making money. And the new owner only wanted women. He didn't want any men at all. So I was let go. And it's like, really? Wow, sexual discrimination in the workplace is alive and well. <laughs> and so I, um, my, my, my manager, sat, we sat down and we were having a meeting and he goes, you want to start a tour with us, IMG? And I go, well, let me check my calendar. It's like, whiteboard. I go, yes, we started Stars on Ice and we were working really hard. I mean, working really hard and it was growing and it was growing and we're trying to stay alive in those first few years. And then we're six years in, Christy Yamaguchi wins the Olympic gold medal. And now we go from a 30 city tour to a 60 city tour. And then we had Torvald Dean and Katarina Vitt and Gordy Van Grinkoff and we had all these great people. And, you know, we suffered some tragedy along the way. Uh, Sergey Grinkoff died of a heart attack at 28 years old during rehearsal year 10 of Stars and Ice. So, Year 11, you know, we had heavy hearts. You know, Katya was skating with us as a solo skater, and, and I just figured I worked myself into something. That Must be stress. It was like yeah, an ulcer. Yeah. So I, yeah. 50 cities into a 60-city tour, it's like I couldn't stand up straight anymore. And when you're a skater, that isn't great, you know? And so um, I went into an emergency room, and the doctor there um, put me through a lot of tests. He wanted confirmation. He just sat me down after... I think about six hours of testing, and he just said, um, we found a mass. And it's like... <laughs> That's not a good word. No, it's like I started chuckling. And he goes, what's so funny? I go, well, look at me. Nobody's ever used the word mass in description of me before. <laughs> and he goes, no, 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 this is, this is serious. This, it's either benign, malignant, or something else. 
And right then I realized it was like two months shy of uh, 20 years of losing my mom to the disease I am now being diagnosed with. And the fear was just unbelievable. It, it was like, I was just like crippled with fear. I just saw myself diminishing and I'll never skate again. And my life is now like, and all those things. Like, and it was like that fear was just staring me right in the face. And then it was like, it just flipped. I don't know if it was five minutes, five seconds or a nanosecond. I just went from being so scared to being so like leaning in, you know, you know I'm gonna beat this thing. Yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna, and then my mom came back, like to my, and all my memories of my mom came back because I was thinking about how she suffered through her cancer. And then I realized that she'd say things like, oh my, this chemotherapy. I finally found a way to lose all this weight. She was a four by four and like the, the greatest lady I've ever known. And, and then she would say things like, oh, this chemotherapy, I've wanted to quit smoking all these years. Now I have no desire and I hate my hair. This chemotherapy, these wigs are so beautiful and so much easier. So she, she faced it in an upbeat fashion. She taught me how to go through yeah. it. Yeah. So my nurse basically, um, she treated me like an eight-year-old. You know, she decorated my chemo bags with Snoopy stickers and Mylar. I had Scooby-Doo and SpongeBob, like Band-Aids or banana popsicles in the freezer. I mean, I was like, she treated me, I was 38 years old and she was treating me like an eight-year-old. And it was awesome. And no one was allowed in my, my hospital room unless they made me laugh. So people were coming in with Beagle Puss glasses and skinhead wigs and whoopee cushions and funny movies. And I wanted to control my space so that it was a positive thing, but I knew in my heart that I was at a cross, like, like yeah. a fork in yeah. the road. Yeah. And I knew that the way I'd been living my life was basically what caused this. And I knew that I, I, needed, to, I needed to change. I knew I needed okay. to like step away from what I've been doing and, and heal. Yeah. So in the midst of this crisis, testicular cancer, the, hence the half-neutered comment earlier yeah. on, okay? <laughs> yeah, uh, you, but you, also 38 staple surgery, filet yeah, or Scott, yeah. yeah. So you recover, and through this experience, that kind of, it's a little bit of a wake-up call, as you say, you're tr trying to figure out what's, what's wrong with my life, for all the success I've experienced. Uh, you get to meet the love of your life. Yeah. Tracy comes into your life. How did you guys meet? Well, I, I decided to put myself on hiatus for three years where I didn't really want to enter into a relationship with um, a woman because I just felt damaged. You know, I just, I didn't, there was something like haunting me. There was something like, there was something in there that just was like trying to get out. And so um, on the, it, it's, I call it, I did, I, you didn't know this, best worst day. So I celebrate Best Worst Day every year because I was diagnosed with cancer on um, March 17th, 1997. And then on March 17th, 2000, I meet this girl backstage at Stars on Ice, who I thought was a date of one of my good friends. And so of course, you know, I'm checking out my friend's date to see, you know, it's like, what, Tony, are you crazy? Or, yeah, good job, Tony, right? So I meet her for like 10 minutes and I walk away from that meeting and it's like, if I can meet somebody like that, yeah. I'm getting off the bench. I mean, it was like, yeah. I was like, wow. She was really pretty and she was really um, intelligent and she had a great sense of humor and it was just a beautiful smile. And it's like, yeah, if I can, I'm ready. And so um, I stepped away, I finished the tour, I went back to life and then I'm playing golf with my friend in LA a few months later and, he, and um, he's like, on the phone and I go, hey, we're golfing, put the phone away. Is that the girl from Memphis? And he goes, Tracy? And I go, I don't remember her name. And he, he's in, uh, no, she's like my little sister. She's not like, and I go, oh, okay. He goes, why? And I go, because I, can I get her number? <laughs> and he goes, it's amazing you should ask about her because she's moving to L.A. this week. Uh. And so um, it took us a while to get together, but three weeks later we, um, we went out on our first date and we've been together ever since. But what, what was really wild was in that, I'm going to get to it before you do, right? So in that, 
Like, I, I just was, I knew there was something welling up in me that needed to get out. I didn't know what it was. And so we were dating, we were laughing, we we're having a great time, we we're building this relationship. And she just said, all right, um, can we have a bit of a talk? And I go, anything, open book, talk, you know, anything you want to know, anything you need. And she said, where are you in your relationship with Jesus Christ? And I stopped for a second and I I said what any smart guy would say. Where do you want me to be? <laughs> and it was there. She goes, no, really, I need to know. And I was like, well, all right, here's my deal. I skated with Janet Lynn. And if you skate in a rink with Janet Lynn, you're reading the Bible. I didn't get it. I go, I didn't get it. And everything I'd ever experienced in my life was a game. There's rules to the game. There's ways of getting really good at it. How do you get really good at this? There was all these things where I was creating these false obstacles. It was like, and let's talk about denomination, religion, who's right, who's wrong, you know? So I was kind of like in that thing of, there are so many questions. I was, that was what was inside of sure, me that was trying sure. to get out. Yeah, and yeah. so she goes, uh, <laughs> let me introduce you to my pastor. And so I met with him and I- Pastors are cool guys. Oh. Yeah, yes, yeah. So yeah. I met this guy, he was 6'5", and this giant of a man with a heart this big. And I, he goes, well, what's going on? And I just laid it out. I just laid it all out exactly, all the obstructions, all the things, all the, the confusions, all the, you know, everything, the obstruction, obstruction, obstruction. It's the world, obstruct. And he goes, I couldn't agree with you more. Like, we're gonna get along just fine. And so he handed me a Bible and he goes, have you ever read this? And I go, I've tried. It's just, it's like, it's long and it's, it's like people. And I don't, I, I, tr I don't get it. I like try being mildly dyslexic and read Isaiah. Really? It's like, come on people. And it's like, I don't, like I get, and then you get to the next part of the book where Jesus comes into the picture and it's like, what does that have to do with that? And he just said, oh boy, do you like history? And I said, I love history. It was my favorite subject in school. I'm fascinated by history. And he goes, this is a book of history. But when you read this book, it's not so much about the characters in the book and their stories. It's about how God interacted in their lives. And I was like, really? And he goes, yeah. And so I started reading it with that filter, and it's like it, the pages started to come alive. Yeah, yeah. And it was, it's like yeah. the best story ever. Yeah. And then you get to the part about Jesus, and it's like, why did he have to die? And then you go back, in, back into the Old Testament, and it lays it all out. In Genesis, God never refers to himself as I. He refers to himself as us. From page one of the Bible, Jesus is there. Yeah. And it's like, when you connect all the dots, all of a sudden now, all the dots of my life are connected. I was an unwanted, unintended child of a woman who probably had other options. I was sick, you know, I, I, like all these things, you feel like you're in this turbulent storm. And all those mysteries, all those things, they were all connected. It was all for my good. Yeah. Every step of the way, every knockdown, every bit of suffering was meant to um, build my character, build my endurance, build my ability to withstand the assault of everything that we experience every single day. Now, you know, I want to take Scott's story for a moment and superimpose it on your story because one of the reasons we do these inspiring story, stories weekends with special guests is because we hope that their story, you're going to find some connection. And these are stories of spiritual journey, okay? A journey to a relationship with God. So I hope you're picking up on a couple of important pieces. I mean, there's some dissonance going on in your life. There's a, a sense that even though there are successes along the way, there's something that's just not right. And then maybe God intersects you with somebody who has a relationship with Jesus and that perks you up. And maybe you've been handed a Bible and you understand for the first time, oh, this is about a person. It's about Jesus, who, as you said, died, died for our sins, right? Who, who came to the planet specifically because we had a broken relationship with God. 
And because God is the giver of life, when you break a relationship with God, when you go your way instead of God's way and you pull apart from God, the, the consequence is death. So Jesus came, came to our planet to take the death we deserve to die. And so these pieces are beginning to come together. But now I'm going to jump ahead in the story because the full surrender is not yet there. And this eventually leads to a point of surrendering to Jesus. But you got better from your uh, testicular cancer. You overcame it. And you get married to Tracy. And things are, are going great. And you have a, a baby nine Nine months and two days later, which is somewhat of a miracle. Yeah. Yes. yeah. <laughs> you have, there, there, there might be a couple fertility issues that are associated with testicular cancer. <laughs> just I'm maybe. just telling you. Yeah. And yeah, so we, we, we had this child, and, we were just, and, and I, I realized more and more that I was still kind of living in that world of, yes. like, I, the tail was wagging the dog. Yes, yes, right? yes. And so, I, you know, we call it, the, you know, in my book, I call it the Church of Scott, right? So we all live in the church of ourselves, and it's really hard to let that go. And so um, I was symptomatic, and I went into the Cleveland Clinic. It was the night before my big fundraising cancer thing, um, and um, I knew I was having some issues. I just I felt lethargic, and I, my vision was off, and and I went in, and he kept, oh, you're just getting older. Ah, it's because of this. Ah, it's because of that. And it's like, no, there's something wrong. And he goes, well, come on. You're getting, these are all associated with chemo. And after, I go, I, my peripheral vision is like whack. If I do this, I can see. If I do that, I can't. And he goes, oh, let's get you in for a head scan. And so I went in for um, a head MRI, and I walked out, and the doctor, the neurosurgeon in the MRI room said, there's something in there. And I go, you'd be the first to say that. <laughs> and so um, <clears throat> I went back to the um, main hospital and I met my physician and he said, you have a brain tumor. Wow. And I was like, no, I can't have a brain tumor because I did, this, the, the, I did the cancer thing already. I get a pass. Yeah, and I'm, it's like, I'm beyond and it. I'm a father of a 14 month old kid. And it's yes. like, I'm married and it's like, my life is different now. I have responsibilities I can't be just going through this on my own yes, anymore. Yes. Now, now so, Tra Tracy was not there at the time. No, I was meeting her at the hotel so right after you that. you go apartment. home or back to the hotel. Yeah. What do you say? She's arriving as I'm getting out of the cab from the hospital. And she goes, what's going on? I go, I'll tell you upstairs. So we get upstairs, put Aiden on the floor. He's you know, banging the phone on the cradle and doing what all 14-month-old kids do. And, and she looked at me and she goes, what's going on? And I said, how else do you say it. I go, I, I have a brain tumor. And she just grabbed both of my hands immediately and started to pray. Wow. And it was wow. honestly the single most powerful moment in my life because I was completely overwhelmed with this power and this, this confidence that I'm going to be okay no matter what, yeah. no matter what. Yeah. And, um, and so we had to figure out how to treat it. Okay. So this is the point of surrender for you then. I mean, now you're, you're ready to be all in. You're, you're in over your head. And so you turn your life over to Jesus. Is mm -hmm. that right? Yeah. So um, after they did the brain biopsy where they say, we seem to have found a safe corridor. They go in. Um, they take a piece of the brain tumor out. And um, they hand my wife a piece of paper with what the brain tumor is. And she, and she says, oh, listen to this. Craniopharyngiomas are... Um, usually detected early in a child's life due to a lack of growth and development. Uh, you were listening. Yeah. Good for you. No, I was born with the brain tumor for whatever reason those years that I skated, it stopped doing its mischief. But it was after that that I connected all the dots of, you know, what we may feel is, is harming us is for our good. God's got this and, story written And for so us. I came yeah. back and I yeah. just said, I said to my pastor, Ken, I go, it's time for me to, I, I want to be baptized. Yeah. I want to give my life completely over to, to Jesus, and it's, it's time wow. now. And so it was a rainy, cold day in Malibu. We went out to the faculty hot tub. <laughs> and um, so your, your church was in rented facilities? Yeah, it was yeah, like okay. right it's in Pepperdine. It was okay. one of the lecture okay. halls. We'd have church okay. in one of the okay. lecture halls at Pepperdine um, University. And so we went through... We were the only comfortable ones there because it was a cold, rainy day. Everybody's out there shivering, and we're in the hot tub. You know, it's like awesome. And so Ken 
Ask me all the, the questions. Do you yeah. believe that Christ died for your sins? Do you believe you know, he's the son of the living God? Yes, yes, yes. I went under and then I came out and I was like, wow, that was quick. Huh. And then something just felt different. Wow. And so I got all cleaned up. I'm going back to the house to watch football. Tracy's going out with Aiden and her best friend to go brunch. And she just looks at me and she, her eyes are like wide open. She goes, how do you feel? <laughs> and the only word I could think of was lighter. Yeah. Yeah. Lighter. Because when you take all of your garbage yes. and you lay it at the foot of the cross yeah. and you surrender your old life for a new life yes. in the power of Jesus Christ, and God the Father and the Holy Spirit all living in you now and, and, and prospering in you and growing in you and, and giving you new life. It's, it's extraordinary life. how you don't worry about the same stuff anymore. And all those memories that you have of the regrets of the past and everything, you have now permission to let those go forever. And it's... Unbelievable. Okay, so I want to put in a plug for something. That was, you know, that was a beautiful lead-in to the fact that next week in a Christ Community Church, we're doing baptism, baptism celebration. So if there's been a point in your life where you have surrendered to Christ, you've said, okay, I'm all in. I want you to be the savior, the leader, the king of my life, but you've never gone public with it. Next weekend's an opportunity for you to do so at one of our, our four campuses. Now, we deliberately scheduled some last late baptism orientation classes in case you're, you're sitting here today at, at one of our campuses saying, that's what I want to do. I've trusted Jesus. I put my hope in him. I want to go public. Uh, there is a last baptism class available at one of your campuses. I know in St. Charles it's at 1245 today. At the other campuses you'll have to check it out to find out what, when that last class is offered. But jump in the water. Go public uh, with your faith. Whoop, whoop. I'm going to jump ahead because i got to wrap things up yeah. in a few, a few minutes here. Uh, you went through, this was not the last brain tumor, so you, <laughs> you, went, through, you went through another brain tumor, well, yeah. and uh, you know, a scary time, two more, scary time when, uh, when uh, you encountered a nurse who said, dude, if God's your father, you know, trust yourself to him, and, and so there was more learning uh, from it. In fact, your book, I want to recommend his book, uh, The Great Eight. This is a book I read. He's actually written a couple other books. In fact, your newest one is for kids. Is that right? It's called Fritzy Finds a Hat. Uh, Brad Paisley, the country music artist, did all the, the hat illustrations with his family. And all the proceeds, it's a, it's a gentle way of talking to your children about cancer. Um, no book like that. We couldn't find one that existed, so we, yeah. we needed to make one up. But um, it's, uh, it's like my mom, the way she told me, the way I tell my kids each time the brain tumor comes back, you know. Uh, it came back in 2010. I met that nurse who I'm sure was an angel. I don't even think she was a human. Um, she was extraordinary, but she re... I, I always prayed in gratitude, and she taught me that if God is your father, he's waiting for you tell to come him to him. Yes. And come and petition, ask, just yes. ask. And, yeah. and she was wow. awesome. Wow. And then the brain tumor came back in 2016, and this time, I had this like, inner voice just saying, get strong. And I didn't know if it meant get strong physically, mentally, emotionally, spiritually. So I chose E, all the above. And since I made that choice to go even deeper into my faith and into my physical fitness and into all the other things, emotional, um, the brain tumor has been inexplicably shrinking. Wow. On its own. Wow. 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 God is good all the time. One of the things I love about Scott's book uh, called The Great Eight is he shares eight life principles that he's learned from skating. And in closing, I just want to touch on a couple of them because they, they lead into some other things I want to unashamedly promote here. Okay, yeah. so one is 
You talk about figure eights. Yeah. I mean, real, real quick, yeah. what is a figure eight that made such a difference in your life as a skater? It's a discipline of really learning how to carve an edge, be a pure on an edge, body position. Everything has to be just so because it's very exacting. It's very precise. So in that practice, all those little muscles that support the big muscles get stronger so you're more quality is better, you're more consistent, you prevent injury, all those things just by the discipline of learning the okay. AIDS. So this is a lead-in to next week. We start a new series on habits that'll transform your life. So the whole 90, we're calling it, 90 days where you set some, some new habits, spiritually, financially, uh, physically in, in your life. We're going to see what God's Word has to say about the disciplines that will take you to a new level of personal success. And the last uh, principle I want to draw out of this book is I love the way you say how coaching uh, and, and appreciating a good coach set you up for the, for the day when you would surrender your life to Jesus as your life coach. What is it about what, what, what's the purpose of a coach in the life of a skater? It, everything is so confusing and everything takes expertise and everything takes practice and everything takes repetition. And it's the same with anything we do in our lives. Everything takes instruction, repetition, practice, and you know, to, to working towards perfection, which can never be achieved. So in my coaching um, life, you know, it's been like we all need coaches. We, we all do. need, especially yeah. if you're going in this direction spiritually, because it's a big story. It's something that needs to be understood, and it's something that can really give you power and strength in your life to endure things that you may not have been able to do. So when you step on that Olympic stage, you're prepared yes. and you're ready to face whatever comes your way. So friends, as we close, Jesus is ready to become your life coach, but it's, it's your decision. And uh, you need to come to that place of surrender like, like Scott did. And so what I want to give you an opportunity to do is surrender your life to Christ. Why, why to Jesus? Uh, because Jesus loved you so much that he came to the planet, as we said earlier, to give his life on the cross, to take the penalty for your sin, the penalty being death. You chose to walk away from the God who gives life. Jesus took the death you and I deserve to die. And he stands ready to forgive you, but it requires a surrender on your part. You know, all of sin and falls short of the glory of God, Scripture says. The wages of sin is death, the Bible says, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus, your Lord. So, would you like to surrender to Christ today? I want to give you an opportunity to do that in prayer across our four campuses. We call it the surrender prayer. So I'm going to ask you to bow uh, your head right now in prayer. Close your eyes. This is a quiet moment with God. Maybe it's been a long time since you've ever done something like this, gotten quiet before God, but I guarantee this is the biggest decision you'll ever make in your life. And the surrender prayer has three important words in it. The first word is sorry. Okay, in order to come before a holy God whom you've walked away from, you've chosen to go your way instead of God's way. God said, do this, and you didn't do it. He said, don't do this, and those are the things you've done. You know that. You know, as, as Scott said in his story, there was a lot of darkness that lifted from his, his life when he trusted Jesus. So what is the darkness in your life? You know, is it due to relational conflict? Is it due to materialism? or pride, or bitterness towards someone who's wronged you. I mean, there's any number of things. The Bible calls them sins that keep God at arm's length. And so to begin a relationship with God through Jesus, you need to say sorry and mean it from your heart. So I'm going to give you a quiet moment right now. Just confess your sins to God. Say, God, I am so sorry that these sins have kept you at arm's length. And the next word in the surrender prayer is thanks. You, you, you've heard this morning that Jesus not only died for the world, he died for you. He died to take the death you deserve to die. He stepped into your, your shoes, took the punishment you deserve. Have you ever thanked him? Have you ever said, thank you, thank you, thank you for being not just savior of the world, but coming to save me? You go from sorry to thanks. If you've never expressed that gratitude from your heart to Christ for being a savior, would you, would you do that right now? Thank you, Jesus.
So the surrender prayer is sorry, and then it's thanks, and the third word is please. This is the surrender part. This is where you say, please come into my life now as my Savior and King. I want the forgiveness that you purchased for me when you died on the cross in my place. But please, I, I, I also want you to become the leader of my life. I have been on the throne of my life, and I want to get off the throne. I don't want to be king. I don't want to be queen. I want you to be king. Please. And as Scott said, this, you know, this decision, this all-in uh, means there are subsequent steps. When you say, don't say please if you don't mean with your whole heart, and I want to learn what it means to follow you. I, I want to find my way around your book. I want to get with people who are going that same direction. Please become the leader of my life means, yes, I'm giving up that leadership role. I'm surrendering. Please. Now, before I say amen to this prayer, if you've prayed, sorry, thanks, thanks for what you did on the cross for me, please come into my life. And you've meant this from your heart. You know, you, you've just done something internally. A huge change has taken, taken place inside you, but tomorrow you're going to wake up and you're going to wonder, did I really do that? Did I, you know, did I truly surrender my life to Jesus? So I'm going to ask you to do something physically right now that's going to help you tomorrow morning remember this decision you just made to surrender to Christ. Okay, in just a moment, I'm going I'm to ask you to stick your hand into the air for one second. Just shoot it up and then put it back down on your lap as your way of saying, I mean it. I surrender my life to Christ. Okay, let's do that. Put your hand up. You surrender to Christ. And then put it back down on your lap. Good. You could do that if you're watching online and you're sitting on your sofa in your family room watching this. Just put your hand in the air, put it back down on your lap. You could do it at any of our, our four campuses. Just a hand up says, yep, I surrender to Christ. And you put it back down. Lord Jesus, I pray that these decisions that we made in our hearts, that you would confirm them in our lives in days to come, show that they were really credible surrenders, not just a, a blip on the radar, but these were genuine decisions of giving all to you. And God, teach us now what it means to grow in a relationship with you. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we're going to sing a closing song. It just kind of pulls the whole morning together. Uh, but before we do, would you join me in thanking Scott for being our guest? Thank you. Thank you.